0: Hey friends and neighbors, what's going on? Welcome to another fabulous edition of This Week in Mormons. I start off very peppy and exciting, but who knows how depressing this episode will be. Maybe I should be more solemn. I don't know. Either way, it's great to have you with us this week, and we appreciate you taking the time to do so. If you could, leave a review for TWIM on iTunes, or if any of your pod catching services allow for reviews, we would love it if you do that. I'll save the other plugs until later, uh, but for now I would like to welcome our co-host. Once again, the pride of Washington State, Jared Gillins, is here.
1: And in this episode, the voice of solemnity.
0: You're too peppy, Jeff. You're too peppy. I'm, I'm being solemn I'm, for you. I only felt weird about it a few weeks ago because I started off with the usual like, all right, hey, everybody. And then the whole episode was like, hey, so are we racists? Are we like in the church? And so it. Fe- I almost went back and re-recorded my opening lines because it, it felt Hey, weird for you, the tone the episode eventually took. But. May as well embrace that with gusto. Like, hey, we may be racist.
1: Let's talk about it.
0: Yes, embrace racism with gusto. That's oh. our that's our message no, this week. No. The, the discussion, not the not the racism itself. Embr- Let it be known that Jared Gillens from a very Caucasian state no less mm. wants you to embrace racism. I on the other hand am from Southern California. We are a melting pot. Wait. We, Wait,
1: hey! I would just like to point out it depends on what part of the state. So you look at Eastern Washington, for sure, not really known for diversity. But Western Washington, where I grew up, at least—I
0: uh, don't know, man. I've seen Fraser, and everyone on that show is white. True. So I'm just saying, uh, except for Cam Winston, we had Cam Winston. Sorry,
1: we had a lot of. There was a there was a very high Pacific Rim influence. I know where I, I lived know. and grew up and went to high school and everything. So I I. I I'm gonna I'm gonna pull that you know that card that white people like to play like, hey, I had a lot of Chinese friends in high school. okay well, it's kind of therefore therefore not racist.
0: yeah, yeah, I'm kind of been laughing but about the um I'm forgetting his name right now just with everything going on politically right now, um, kind of how Republicans keep trotting out Tim Scott like uh-huh. hey hey, hey, basically like, hey, we have a black friend, right hey, everybody. Yeah, it's fun. Can't pull that card, people. Doesn't legitimize anything. Dang it! Doesn't okay, work. okay. But it's but it's understandably tempting, yeah. right? Like I, it's. I think naturally we want to be anecdotal as people, and I get it. Like that's okay. It's not necessarily good science per se, and so it's very easy to be anecdotal and be like, "You may feel this way," but like you're not saying I'm not a racist because I have friends of other races. But you maybe you're trying to say like I do know people and I've like seen their lives and like I understand some of it in a way. I think a lot of people come from an okay place with that, but even if it doesn't pass muster.
1: Well, the worst ins- instance that I can recall of seeing somebody try that was. have you seen Spike Lee's film for four young girls? Is that what it's called? Four young girls, Four little no. girls, Four little girls. No. It's about the, it's about the Alabama church bombing. Uh, yeah. in the Sixties. Anyway, yeah. uh, there are a few interview, um, segments of an interview with George, you know, governor, former governor, George Wallace during,
0: he was a nice guy.
1: Well, the, he, during all of his interview spots, he, he has this black, like servant aide type person standing next to him. Oh jeez! And at one point he tries to like say like what good friends they are and how close they are. And he kind of like reaches out to kind of like, he's sitting in a chair and the, 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 the black aide is like standing and he kind of reaches out to kind of like grab his arm or grab his hand. And the guy like, Uncomfortably inches away from him, (laughs) and um, so anytime anyone's like, "Hey, I'm not racist. I have a black friend," I think of that shot of like George Wallace, like trying to reach out to his black servant, you know, claiming that they're good friends, and the and the guy, you know, kind of indicating with his body language, "I want nothing to do with you." So,
0: well, and the thing to remember, of course, in all this is that George Wallace was a Democrat, and the Democratic Party created racism. Of course, of of course. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's no there's no such thing as uh, you know, parties um, changing position over time.
0: uh uh-uh. That doesn't happen. Doesn't does not happen ever. Never happens. Uh well before we get into plenty of our racially charged news, everything going okay for you over there, pal? Up north? Inside the Beltway? <laughs> oh yeah. Stuff. Inside
1: the Beltway, we're doing a okay. We yeah, I I have nothing I I really have nothing to report. It just feels like it's you know. Well,
0: yeah, it's COVID. i am here
1: we are going to take we're going to take a small trip my wife and i have a little trip planned for uh to go down to stanton uh virginia oh
0: yeah stan's very cute
1: that's where we honeymooned so we're gonna we we found an airbnb that looks you know clean and nice and we're just gonna we
0: have a we have a mutual friend who also honeymooned there why is everyone honeymooning in stanton
1: well they copied us they they, they, that's fair they heard that we honeymooned there and they were like hey that's a good idea and they went after we did i'm gonna i'm gonna text them about that right now while we're talking oh you know he knows they both Uh, they they copied the gillens anyway (laughs) so we we are gonna we're just a little three-day trip down to stanton because we figured it's a good place where it's a small enough town that we can still really socially distance they have enough places that like restaurants that are open for like pickup and stuff like that where we can get some good food but not again expose ourselves and also it's situated like just right there in and around the shenandoahs and so we can get out of town really easily and just go out do some hikes and so it'll feel like a getaway vacation without having to like go to like Virginia Beach and like, you know, bring home the COVID with us.
0: Yeah. That sounds nice. Yeah. I mean, especially I mean, Virginia, a lot of our listeners are in Utah, for example. Utah it seems like it's a free-for-all with reopening. You guys just don't care. You're just like devil may care. Do whatever you want. Even though that even
1: though that chart is just spiking right now with new cases. Yes.
0: Yeah, it's a mess. So anyway, that that's happening in Utah. Virginia is creeping back into it a little bit differently. Um, last night was the first time I actually purchased a meal since all of this started. Oh, really? Yeah, we didn't go out to eat. So we had some family here. Um, my, my in-laws are, are visiting. My sister's, uh, my sister's sister, my sister-in-law lives also in Virginia. They were visiting them and they came to visit us. And my sister-in-law and her family came too to drop them off. And so we were all here together and our oven went out. So I can't, we would normally have just baked a bunch of pizzas. We'd like to make homemade pizza with homemade, you know, dough and all that stuff. Make it all. Uh, but we couldn't. So I actually just like, I ordered pizza and I picked it up. It felt weird. It huh. felt weird. It felt weird to buy a meal and go grab it. I have not done that since early March. That's funny. I know
1: we, we've we de- I mean, we don't do it all the time, but we definitely have made use of, of, you know, curbside pickups and things like that. Cause it's just, man, I mean, it just gets really, I like to cook and I, and I do most of the the cooking of like big meals and stuff in our home. Yeah. Uh, but it just, it wears. Come on, Kelsey, step it up. No, no, no. Like, I, I like it. She, she, and she likes that I, that I cook. <laughs> so
0: what, uh, what are you getting from this relationship, Jared? That's all I want to
1: know. Um, yeah. I don't know. I guess a lot of gratitude for the meals I cook. Okay.
0: Oh, fine.
1: I just like being, you know, the chef.
0: I, I actually, which, which, in,
1: which in French literally means the boss. So
0: <laughs> no, I totally get you because I, I don't. We trade off a lot on our meal cooking, but I like never mind if I get "quote unquote" dumped on to make dinner because for me it's like therapeutic kitchen time, and I can just make stuff and it's fun. I totally like right.
1: it. So there's something about like quarantine that feels, for some reason, it just feels like even though we're eating the same number of meals, I don't know. Something about being cooped up makes you feel like it's somehow it's more onerous that like no, we have to cook so many meals and so. <laughs> like getting, picking up food from a restaurant or, or ordering in feels like some sort of great relief. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's
0: a treat in a way, right? I mean, yeah. we take these things for granted and then yeah. it becomes like a special treat. I get it. Well, that's fun. Yeah. So, you guys are doing all right too down there. We're at- doing okay. So, part, part of the big fun we had yesterday is we actually blessed our, our newborn uh, as well since everyone was here because I, I had hopes originally we've blessed our other kids in California. That's not going to happen. So, uh, I thought maybe church would come back into swing in Virginia and I just bless him like normal in church, you know, invite friends and people and stuff. But I don't think that's gonna happen either. So we just said, you know what? We'll at least have two other Melchizedek priesthood holders at our house on Monday night. Did you so, do like a little Zoom call so other family members? We did. That was actually pretty fun. So we, we yeah, we did a Google Meet thing. But yeah, we hopped on Google Meet and I actually set up my laptop and I set up the same microphone I'm using right now to talk to all of you you know, for better audio fidelity. So if you if you stumbled upon the scene, you would have wondered what is happening. Like I should have left my living room drapes open. So passersby could wonder why there's a man standing in a suit with other men in a suit with a laptop that's on a stool on top of a kitchen table <laughs> and a microphone with a boom stand in front of his face. Like, what is this all about? So we did the whole thing. It was fun. We just had, you know, a lot of our extended family and other siblings just hopped on and saw the blessing. It's I, I, I guess one of the big, perks in a way of the covid lockdown is under normal circumstances a blessing is a a more localized thing whether it's a church or if you do it at someone's home like we've normally done mm-hmm. and everyone's there and it's a really fun social event but it's like everyone is there but now we've sort of opened up our mentality to say why can't we have people watch this virtually even if they can't participate in the blessing itself you know holding the baby um so in that sense it was kind of fun because there's people who might not have ever been able to be there like just friends of ours who are elsewhere in different states who wouldn't like drive out for it or anything like that. And we're just, Oh, just click the link hop on. Yeah. And that, I mean, join us for 10 minutes, you know?
1: And I, and I think, I don't know. I can't remember if you and I specifically talked about this, uh, on the show, but I, but I know you guys have talked about, it. you know, the church a few weeks ago, you know, did issue a clarification that you, know, you cannot perform ordinances, remotely like you, you know you specifically they were saying you know no doing the sacrament you can't just have like a sister in her home with her own little plate of bread yeah to water yeah. and have somebody bless the sacrament over zoom or whatever they said you know they specifically said you can't perform an ordinance remotely or virtually but then but you know but having somebody but you can perform an ordinance and display it remotely you know we, we've all i think most of us probably have participated in temple dedications um you know, I quote unquote attended one, but like remotely, or, uh, you know, we all say amen as we pray together in general conference. Um, we even did, and I know this isn't an ordinance, but we did a Hosanna shout together worldwide over you know general conference. So I I just want to know where that thin line is drawn, where it's okay to do a Hosanna shout over satellite or over, you know, high-speed internet connection, but it's not okay to receive a sacrament blessing. Like, you know what I mean? I, got, I I just want to know, I I want some theology on where that line is and why.
0: I don't know either. I mean, I feel like this is fine. Now you're making me wonder if I sinned. No, no, Aaron, no, no, Jared, but <laughs> I, I'm sure you did not because, because
1: you didn't hold your baby in front of the monitor and have like no. your father do it yeah. from like, you know, 300 miles away or whatever.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I thought it was fine. I don't know where the line is. I mean, I, th- I think I'm with you. Like what we did last night was great. Uh, And it was so nice like to to be able to include my parents who were far away and just let them still see the kid. And and also the great upside to recording it this way is I figured, well, since I'm recording, usually for all of our blessings, I've thrown my phone in my pocket and just to get audio of it so I could transcribe it later, have a record, which I still did as a backup, but this time. I was already running a good mic, so I just opened up recording software at the same time. So now I've got like this high fidelity recording of the uh, of the blessing. Well,
1: I don't want to call you out in front of like everyone, Jeff, but isn't the handbook very specific about which ordinances can and cannot be recorded?
0: It is, but there's a new handbook and I don't know what it says. So,
1: so uh, oh, so you're pulling the ignorance card. I see.
0: I see. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I cannot be tried for for breaking the law if I didn't know I was breaking the law. Speaking of ignorance, we
1: have a lot of uh, interesting news to, to talk about today.
0: Sorry, just kidding. I, no, you might as well. The ignorance abounds oh. all over Latter-day Saint news, doesn't it? You <clears throat> Some, it. Sometimes, We're, sometimes. It's, it's almost as if what Maroni said at the end of Book of Mormon, reminding us that if there are faults or errors, they are those of men. And that was referring to the, the way the Book of Mormon was written, but it also just refers to us as a people. Probably it's a good thing to be reminded about.
1: Well, lest I be seen as being overly critical of any group or individual, let's talk about, um, some, some general ignorance that we all share. And that is what happened to elder Holland? We, we don't know.
0: (laughs) For anyone who's not aware of what this, please elaborate.
1: (laughs) So we got news. Um, I don't know. I can't remember exactly when, but it went out, you know, I saw it on Twitter and it was being talked about a lot, but that elder Holland was in the hospital and then the only thing that was being specifically said was it's not COVID nineteen, and uh, but beyond that there were nothing there was nothing really specific said. We just knew that he was in the hospital and that tests were being run and that he was being observed. And then, like five or six days later, I, I want to say it was under a week, but it was almost a week that he was in the hospital. The church released um, the church newsroom or the newsroom. Um, released a statement saying Elder Holland has been released from the hospital and he's doing okay and it wasn't COVID and, I mean, you know, that's it. And it was sort of, so we don't know. We don't. He's 79 years old, so which is not old, old, especially as far as apostles and prophets go, uh, church leaders in those high positions. But he's not a young spring chicken either. So he's whenever you king. see somebody like Elder Holland, any, any church leader of that age in the hospital, it makes you worry a little bit.
0: I don't know. Did they even reveal how long he was in the hospital? I feel like they told us he was going to the hospital, and then w- it was within a day or two they said he left. But it wasn't clear when he actually. It was went several into days. The hospital. Yeah, so, it was yeah, a he, it was a few days at least. So. And we don't know what it is. The church was very quick to say it was not about COVID, which. But honestly, in my mind, I'm thinking like I kind of wish it were COVID. Because although he's a tar- you know he's a at risk uh, population, right? He's 79 years old. But I feel like we kind of know what COVID is. If they've got it under control, he could be treated and he'd probably be fine. But when they just say, he's gone to the hospital, it's not COVID, we're not telling you what else. And then they release him and say, that was cool. He's fine. He's just And he said he's just going back to work like normal. I mean, what was that then? I, I, I appreciate the transparency and that I think a lot of the time in the past, the brethren have gone to the hospital. They've had procedures done, whatever else. And and in their defense, their health care is private like it would be in any corporation or an sure, yeah. model, no, right. Yeah. it's like their it's their private business but naturally we as a people care about the well-being of our of our leaders i mean the very fact that, Pre- that president monson was clearly winding down clearly suffering from dementia which no one's faulting him for i mean it's just it's, it's just that just happened to him but that that was never acknowledged publicly throughout the, his entire life it's one of those things that i just grates a little bit on me only because i just think like guys like we know he's not well wouldn't it be more fun to say the prophet's not well maybe we could pray for him rather than just try to pretend all is well and ignore it so i'm glad they were they at least admitted that elder holland went in yeah i just worry about what the heck it was for and what this was all about like like you said we can't lose elder holland that's uh no. it's not gonna work for me no not at all that's not going to work for me at all. And he's um, what is he third in line at this point? I I, I don't remember. I, yeah, I, so I,
1: I, I whenever somebody says that, I start to sing the Apostles song, you know, the one that goes to the tune of "Count Your Many Blessings." Uh, but but the the version I learned was in the late '80s, so it starts out with like Boyd K. Packer. <laughs> so I I've tried to relearn the song with the current order, but I I don't know. Boyd K. Packer, yes. L. Tom Perry,
0: David B. Hate. Like, see, it's just completely out of, uh, out of date. I love, I love what you're saying though, man, this is good stuff. Um, so just so you know, so yeah, the order of seniority right now, of course you have president Nelson, the actual president of the quorum of the 12 apostles is president Oaks, right? But he's in the first presidency, so he's not functionally doing it. He's the president is M. Russell Ballard. Okay. So between all them, so president Nelson's 95, but acting like he's, you know, 70, which is awesome. Uh, Oaks is 88, I believe, around now. Mm-hmm. Ballard is 91. So he's Ballard's older than I think of him being. In my yeah. mind, Elder Ballard is like permanently 82 years old, you know, and that's just how it's always been. But no, he's 91. And then like then after that is Elder Holland, 79. Uh, because the way seniority works, if you've never heard this before, I assume I always assume our listeners know all these things, but if you don't, You know, when a church president dies, it is not like the first counselor in the first presidency becomes prophet. They all officially go back to their rank. I hate to use that word, but their position in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, which is just based on when they were called. And that is the order by which the next prophet is called. So if President Nelson were to pass away tomorrow, President Oaks would become church president because he is the president of the Quorum of the Twelve. If President Oaks were to pass away before President Nelson did and President Ballard's still around, then President Ballard would become church president. If all of them pass away and Elder Holland is still alive, then Elder Holland eventually becomes church president. And after Elder Holland is the Silver Fox. So, Oh, oh no, sorry. After Elder Holland is President Iring. That's what I was going to get at. I was going to say- President Iring may be a counselor in the first presidency, but he's actually in seniority behind Elder Holland in terms of becoming church president. And then it's Elder Uchtdorf, and then it's Elder, Hall- Elder Bednar, and the list uh, goes on. Ukdorf and Holland are the same age. I always think of Uchtdorf as younger. Hmm. Yeah. He's actually older than Holland by about a month. Interesting. I'm looking at Wikipedia, which always has the information.
1: It's because he's so, like, fit and, like, it has such
0: good posture still. You think, you know, he looks he, – he he carries himself like a younger man. Yes. Our youngest apostle, of course, is Elder Suarez, who is 61. Um the youngest one called, though, of course, was Elder Bednar. Elder Bednar's already been there for about 15 years. He was only- He was like, in his 15. 50s, wasn't he? He was, he was like 52, 53 when they called him. Yeah. Which is pretty exciting. So please don't die, Elder Holland. I'm not ready for that. I know. I'm not ready for that at all. I mean, the only there's no upside. I always try to look for the silver lining. The silver lining would be the silver fox. <laughs> it would mean it increases the silver fox's chances of being the church president. But beyond that, thats that's all we've got. Um, If we can switch to my end then, speaking of the seniority and the brethren and all these fun things, let's talk about Elder Bednar. Elder Bednar had a very interesting week last week. Mm-hmm. And I want to stress that I'm an active, believing, faithful, temple-recommend-holding member of the church with a calling in the bishopric. And I do my calling well. Okay? Such, such, such credentials. So before any of you jump at me and think that I don't support the brethren. I want you to remember I believe in all these things just as you do. And I also want to recognize that this was President Elder Bednar rather speaking at the BYU Law School Religious Freedom Annual Review. He was speaking in his capacity as a member of the quorum of the 12 apostles. So, okay, that's still fair. But he also wasn't speaking to a directly like church audience. It was it's a bit more it's a bit more of a legal academic focus about religious freedom. So, that's some context. Now, The way the church has chosen to cover this has been interesting to me because if you read the full transcript of his remarks, they're almost a little bit more balanced than I would say the pull quotes have been. Um, But I'm not going to give a pass because the church itself and the church news and Deseret News have chosen to focus very much on COVID being a, quote, wake up call for religious freedom. And what Elder Holland has been getting at, essentially... No, no, Bednar, I, Bednar, not Holland. What a, Holland, not, Elder Holland would never give this speech. He would never do it. He would never hurt my feelings.
1: Elder Bednar... Mr. PhD in American Studies, uh, Holland, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I forgot, what's Bednar's PhD in? I don't remember. I, I can't remember. I'll, I'll Google it while you talk. So... Um, <sighs> I mean, where to start with this? Basically, he had some main reflections on this and on how fragile religious freedom is. I think that's a totally fair thing to talk about. Religious freedom can be fragile. We have to protect it. I do often have my my quibbles with how we talk about religious freedom so much and we do so in an American context. That's almost the only way we talk about it. When I think we could do a lot more as a church to talk about religious freedom abroad. Internationally, it's much more of a of a real, real issue. You know, here in the US we get into fights about baking cakes. And I'm not saying those aren't issues that we need to To work through. But abroad, you have issues of like Christians are being massacred. Cool. Muslims are being massacred by other people, right? Like that's not okay. And I think we need to remember that and remember that we're fortunate if you're in the United States and other, I don't want to just say Western countries, but countries that respect the freedom of religion and of worship and you're able to do so largely unimpeded, that's a huge blessing. And the freedom of religion we talk about there is a lot different than it might be in other parts of the world. So Sorry for the rant. Getting that out of the way, basically, Elder Bednar argues that the coronavirus pandemic has taught us that the government has overreached. I don't think I'm stretching saying that he's essentially arguing that the government has overreached during the pandemic, and that we can never government power shouldn't be unlimited, which I agree with. That's fine. Of course, religious freedom is a paramount is paramount among our fundamental rights. Okay, religious freedom is fragile, sure, and then he does say in a time of crisis, sensitive tools are necessary to balance demands of religious liberty with the just interests of society. And while throughout his remarks, he does a couple of times qualify his remarks by saying, look, I want to be clear. Like I know that the COVID situation is unprecedented. Like this has required drastic action, but it still seems to me that he's like, it's, I feel like he's arguing like, why didn't you let us go to church? during the pandemic like it kind of comes down to that and he and he has quotes basically saying that like assembling together gathering as he says is in short at the core of a faith and religion the funny thing to me is he talks about that in the context of the gathering of israel hmm. which i mean it is but i also think the gathering of Israel is so in my lens is a little bit different than the idea of like we gather together every sunday for fellowship. So if the, he says that the faithful are not gathering, sooner or later, they will begin to scatter. When I read that, all I saw was was the church more openly or a representative of the church saying, we're afraid that activity rates are going to drop when things settle back down again and we're all back to normal. And we've talked about that on the show. Like, are people going to go back even when it's safe to do so? Right. Are they going to want to be back in their ward? And maybe that's the bigger concern here. And that is just sort of veiling it with everything else. Um, because gathering lies at the heart of religion. And the heart of religious freedom, which I just like don't totally agree with. He says, quote, this time of restriction and confinement has confirmed to me that no freedom is more important than religious freedom. Protecting a person's physical health from the coronavirus is, of course, important. But so is a person's spiritual health. That's also true. I, uh, true uh, I, he, didn't, he didn't he didn't say like one was more he didn't say spiritual health is more important I do agree it's very important to protect our spiritual health and I'm also very sensitive to the needs of members of our ward who might be single sisters who don't have a priesthood holder in the home or others who you know whatever reason they benefit a lot more from having the weekly interaction in person with members of the ward and I think that's a completely legitimate place to come from there are many people who are programmed that way I'm not one of them so I get that like I'm we've been fine it's fine. Like I, I miss going to my ward, but I'm – okay. This is what we're doing right now. There's others who need a bit more. And I do know this has been super hard for them. And I respect that completely. Um, but again, it's like he just keeps – he's just – Elder Bandar is just basically saying like the, the final quote. This is the big pull quote they've had it here. While believers in their religious organizations must be good citizens in a time of crisis, never again can we allow government officials to treat the exercise of religion as simply non-essential. Never again must the fundamental right to worship God be trivialized below the ability to buy gasoline. Oh. Boom. Now, that's a great gotcha quote. But I I think it I, – I hate it because I think it just misses a mark. And the thing is, I know well, – it feels I've like a – Go ahead. Sorry. Go, I, I've been ranting a lot. Like I know Elder Bednar knows his stuff. Like we just said, he's a PhD. Like he knows his stuff. He does his research. Um, we po- we've we posted this and had people have lots of thoughts about, oh, because someone I think challenged uh, this because Elder Bednar also uh, mentioned that this is a real issue. He said Catholic priests were barred from anointing a parishioner with holy oil in the performance of last rites, even though that person did not have COVID and they could exercise certain precautions. And then at the end he said, of course, and we weren't allowed to have our baptisms. But if you do a quick Google search about like what the Catholic church has done in response to COVID in terms of last rites in particular, you'll see that Pope Francis himself approved doing a lot of these things even virtually as needed because it's such an important right for Catholic people. Which goes back to my old question. What's the difference? Anyway. There's that that too. But even seeing that one example, I looked at it and said, okay, I can't imagine Elder Bednar, this is strictly my interpretation. I, I understand that. But I can't imagine Elder Bednar would not be aware of that. Because if he's preparing these remarks, you would think he'd look into this, and he's an apostle in our church. Like he knows what's going on with other large faiths. So either he didn't know, which seems weird to me, or he chose to omit the fact that the Catholic Church has made accommodations for these very things, because it was easier to make a point about this one instance that is verifiable that Catholic priests were barred from anointing a parishioner, as if to show that government is denying people their right to worship. Yeah, I mean sorry. Talk, Jared. No, I was gonna say, like a lot, a lot of ways that 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 uh, what you
1: said was sort of the the gotcha quote, the big the, the headline quote. It just feels a little bit like a straw man to me, where you know he's saying like never again can government be allowed to restrict religious freedoms in this way, and, I'm, and I keep thinking, well, most it seems to me that most churches restricted themselves before the government said anything. So there's that, like including us, you know, the, the, the prophet and the, the first presidency announced um, home church and virtual general conference and things like that well before most of these state level uh, restrictions on gatherings were, um, you know, put into effect. Second of all, I, as far as I c- can tell, th- none of the government restrictions that were issued were aimed specifically at religious exercise or they They were just general guidelines like hey it's unsafe to have gatherings larger than 20 or 10 or whatever you know it varied by state and locality but they were saying like no gatherings larger than 10 let's say because i think that's what it was here
0: unless it was a protest which i bet i still don't have my head quite around
1: yeah i mean and, and, and and that is i think that's one of the best counter arguments that i've seen like a lot of the people that i've seen in the discussions on the twim facebook page and on some of your posts people have been saying like why is it okay for like hundreds of people to gather for a protest but not you know you know a few dozen for a church meeting and i'm like you know that that's a valid point but i mean but um but going back i mean Still, the overall guidelines given by governments on restrictions on gatherings and things like that, none of them were like, and this means you churches. It was just, this is for everybody. And so, to claim an attack on religious freedom, I I think to claim an attack on religious freedom, you have to have evidence that it was specifically aimed towards religions or religious religious people.
0: Yeah. who am I to say, not just say, no, this is an attack on my freedom to ultimate Frisbee. Right. Right, you exactly.
1: And, and, and which is specifically guaranteed under the first amendment.
0: Yes. Hey, it's it, enshrined by the founding fathers. I'm I'm free to gather. It's my form of protest. Exactly.
1: Um and then the, the, the another thought I had and which is kind of feels funny to me as you know in the context of Elder Bednar's uh, remarks is that we did continue to gather. Actually, well, I will say I say we did gather, we continue to gather in a general sense in that most of my friends and family and people that I know of went in the church and not many religions were doing this, were adapting their meetings and services to the extent that they could to be online. And so that we, you know, we had zoom Sunday school and zoom seminary and we, and I taught zoom seminary in the mornings and I, um, you know, zoom priesthood and release society, uh, young women's meetings, et cetera. And, the only place that I am aware of that specifically did not have those virtual gatherings was Utah because the local area authorities, the presidencies there interpreted no Sunday meetings as, as literally as possible. They said, Nope, no Sunday meetings. Don't have a zoom Sunday school or whatever. Uh, so outside of Utah, the rest of us continued to quote unquote gather in an age where technology allows us to gather and where, you know, This is, this is how we meet now. This is how a lot of people conduct business or conduct friendships or stay in touch with their families. Yeah. You know? And so it's not like we were being forbidden to gather as, as
0: a religious people. We continued to do so, but it was just in a different forum. And and like I said before, like there are those who doing it in a different forum still isn't enough, you know? And I I understand that's hard for everybody. but it's not perfect. Like it's a global pandemic. It's a public, a public health crisis. Right. We're doing the best we can in these situations. Um, Here's another funny little bit here. This one just feels like he's just – this is a quote from it. Um, He just feels like bothered. He says, the COVID restrictions affected the church in a unique way. The church's April 2020 general conference, a celebration of the bicentennial of the first vision of the prophet Joseph Smith, had to be broadcast to a global audience from a small auditorium with only a handful of people attending instead of from our large conference center with a congregation of more than 20,000 people. Like, I feel like that one was just thrown in there to say, look what you denied us. But, but We again, were supposed they, to have a big celebration about this.
1: But the problem is that that the, the government didn't make anybody do that. The church chose to adapt our conference to that forum before any, you know, before, you know, it was even before, like, people were, like, really starting to get worried. The church was like, hey, by the way, we're going to do this. And that was one of the symbols, I think, to a lot of members that, oh, this is something to take seriously. Mm-hmm. So you can't blame that on the government. Because we chose to do it of our own volition,
0: right? Yeah. So, no, we totally did. Yeah. I have two schools of thought behind what might have really driven this. They're both wrong, but I'm going to share them anyway. <laughs> please, please tell us your wrong headed thoughts. One of them is that this was originally assigned to President Oaks and he couldn't do it. So, he just told other Bednar to do it. Because this whole thing seems like it's straight up in Oaks' wheelhouse. I've never seen – did I say Holland again? No. It can be Bednar. Bednar, yeah. Um I don't Bednar I've not typically found to be like the culture warrior. He gets lumped in with President Oaks a lot, and I think it's just because of their their tone and their delivery style. But when you look at what they actually talk about, there's not a lot of Elder Bednar going to bat as a cultural warrior. And then this happened. So, okay, President Oaks just wrote all of this in Elder Holland. Elder Bednar read it. I keep saying Holland. Um I don't think that's true. The other one that I saw floating around though was that uh the Supreme Court case, uh interpreting the Civil Rights Act to protect um, LGBT transgender people, you know, from discrimination and being fired at work that uh, Elder Bednar was upset about this because inter- the church does the church doesn't like that ruling and that uh, Which is surprising, he was upset about it, but you guys already talked about it. So we don't have to go. On. We have, we have, we have, but I, I <laughs> someone said that uh, Bednar was just miffed about that. So he took it out on this conference. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened. That's, totally unrelated. That, that's a sense. funny
1: interpretation. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um speaking of the differences, anyway. the 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 like the kind of pet project differences between Oaks and Bednar, that they would make sense. Um, because as I think most people know, Elder Oaks was a you know, has a, a JD in law. He was famously on the Utah Supreme Court. He's very much into law, right. so often you know, he's kind of taken on the religious freedom as one of his pet projects that he loves to speak about. I looked up uh, Elder Bednar's PhD is from ah, Purdue. Yes. It's from Purdue, by the way, which is a very prestigious place to get a, a, a doctorate degree from, but his doctorate degree is in organizational behavior, which when you think about it and kind of makes a lot of, of sense. sense. Yeah. The things that he likes like <laughs> to make like animated, you know, PowerPoint presentations about in conference, it's totally like right up in his wheelhouse. Cause yeah, he's, he's got a bachelor, a BA in communication, masters in organizational communication and then I have a doctorate in
0: organizational behavior, and I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, good figure. So anyway, rant over. I'm still not totally settled about this. I think it was a weird speech, and I, I'm not alone. I think a lot of people is. were just like, "Yay, protect I, religious freedom!" Right, and that's well, the thing.
1: If the main takeaway is, "Hey, we always need to be safeguarding our rights and aware of like not allowing the government to get too powerful," hey, I'm on board with that. That's that yeah, is that's yeah, the totally. story of America, right? But. But as far as the spec- specifics that he was kind of getting up into, I'm thinking, well, I don't know if I'm so worried about those things,
0: but you do you as a like, bit, even, even, even like gasoline. Okay. If you're getting gasoline, right? Like I haven't driven as much during all of this, sure. But there's plenty of people who might have to drive more. Maybe you have a generator. Maybe you have whatever. You're, it's your business why you need gasoline. But going to get gasoline is pretty transactional. And half the time, you don't even talk to anybody else. You show up. You maybe wipe down the pump or make sure to hold the pump with a wipe so you don't touch anything or wear gloves, whatever you want. You get your gas and you move on for the day. It's not 200 people sitting in rooms sharing sacrament trays.
1: Well, and not like only that, but like I said, you can I can have a Sunday school lesson you know, over the internet and not have to touch or breathe on anybody. I can't get gasoline. But there's no way might, to virtually yeah. fill my gas tank. <laughs> like You have to actually physically put gasoline into a car. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's weird stuff, but uh, so while, who knows? Um, while we're talking about controversial things, should we just keep digging this hole? Yeah, let's dig. Dig. All deeper. right. I, I want to talk about Brigham Young. I want to talk about the statue at BYU. Hit me. So there is a Brigham Young statue at BYU, which makes sense because you know the BYU <laughs> stands for Brigham Young University. So if you are not familiar with the campus, you know, right the the, the main administration building is the Abraham O. Smoot administration building. And then there's a little pavilion courtyard type place right outside it. And then right in the middle of that pavilion courtyard is there's a big statue of Brigham Young, with the namesake of the university. And uh statues have been um very much a popular topic in the news lately. A lot of statues are being pulled down. Some of them get pulled down and then thrown into a body of water. I just love like it's not enough to throw it, pull down a statue. You gotta throw it in a lake or a pond or a canal. Um, I just, I don't know, I just love that. There's always that little bit of punctuation. The punctuation that was added to a uh, Brigham Young statue uh, this last week was not being pulled down. Somebody spray painted in large red letters the word "racist" on the base of the statue. Booyah! Yeah, booyah! No, I mean. Indeed. No not booyah. Uh, <laughs> um, no, not booyah. And then, relatedly, like I said, it's right. It's late, located adjacent to the Abraham O. Smoot building, and Abraham Smoot. Um, well, so the, the sign, the, the, the stone signage in front of the building, noting what it is, got a big red X painted over it. Uh, so Abraham Smoot, uh, if you don't know who he was, he was a prominent early Latter-day Saint and he was a convert from the South. And when he moved to Utah, he brought his slaves with him. And many people don't know this, but slavery actually was legal in Utah for many years. And the person who, the main advocate and the governor of the territory who made slavery slavery legal in Utah... Wait for it. ...time was Brigham Young. No way. Yeah. So this is something, this is again, one of these things that maybe you didn't hear about in Sunday school, because why would we talk about that? It's a shameful part of our history. And here we are at This Week of Mormon saying, hey... We need to talk about this. Um, so I, I mean, I would like to come out as saying first and foremost, that I do not think that defacement or destruction of property is good or desirable in almost any circumstance. So I, I don't like, I saw the picture of the racist tag put on Brigham a young statue. And I, I don't know. I found that very distasteful. I don't think people should be vandalizing the university grounds. I don't think people should be um, voicing their opinion in a destructive way like that, or just uh, yeah, destructive. We'll use that that adjective. However, on the other hand, it's a conversation that we aren't having, and it's a conversation that I think is necessary. Why do we have a building on campus named after a slaveholder? Why do we not ever talk about the racial legacy that Brigham Young left us? In addition to some of the other positive parts of the legacy that we like to focus on. And so I think to me, when I see like somebody did that, I, you know, I think a lot of people are just like, you know, dismissive, like, ah, these people are hoodlums and criminals spray painting a statue. Maybe. Uh, but also maybe these are people who are really frustrated because they, they want to confront some of the harder to talk about and harder to face up to aspects of, Utah history of Latter Day Saint Christian history of prophetic history in our church, and it's something that people keep like famously within the church keep refusing to have a conversation about. So I don't know. I, I see this as a sort of a lashing out of people who are saying like, "Why aren't we talking about this?" Well, we're going to talk about it now. You know. Anyway, any thoughts
0: about this, Jeff? I have more, but I want to. I want to break. No, I my, mean, I'm my monologue here. It's a guy ranted aimlessly about Elder Bednar. You can say whatever you want. So uh, I- I'm with you. I don't think the defacement of property helps anything. In saying that, I recognize the past month we've seen a lot of destruction of property. And it's important to understand like where the rage comes from. Yeah. What the? What are the underlying issues? Because too often we just t- try to apply band-aids, and of course, this is speaking more broadly about everything that's been going on. We'll apply band-aids just or like, be
1: dismissive and say, "Well, because it's a crime to face property, it's not even worth talking about this." These people are just exactly. criminals,
0: and it's like, well, they. It's not the crime
1: doesn't exist in a vacuum. There's there's always a reason, an impetus. So we should be talking yes. about like what inspired this riot, or what inspired this looting, or what inspired this graffiti. You know, so.
0: exactly. While still taking the time to recognize that that the actions, the 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 crimes around those are not, not ideal <laughs> and not something that we're okay with. And we can do both, you know, folks, we can walk and chew gum. We can do it. Uh I'm with you too. And I think the main argument a lot of people have is like, yes, everyone had something bad about them. Everyone did. But the idea is to look at the totality of the good that they brought to the fore. Uh and I guess that that's a very common argument. Uh, and I think it's easier to make in some cases than in others, right? And that's true because, like, where does it end? Like, you know, if we start tearing down monuments and statues of everybody who ever did anything wrong. What is going to be left? I admit I don't have the perfect, like, retort to that because, yeah, like, George Washington had slaves. And a lot of history shows that he wasn't, like, big rah rah slaveholder, but he held slaves. Do we tear down the Washington Monument because he held slaves? I don't know. But as we localize it down on the Latter-day Saint end, it's tough. Like the Smoot side of it, I think there's I think it's very easy to rename a building for that. Like, why is it named after Abraham Smoot? Who cares? I don't care. I went to BYU. I didn't care that it was named after Smoot. Do you think anybody else does? No. Except for the Smoot family. They're the only ones who care. Nobody else cares. So just rename the stupid building. Move on with it. Um, as far as the Brigham Young side of it, though, that gets a lot trickier because I don't exactly see the church renaming BYU anytime soon. I've and seen say, a lot of
1: hilarious uh suggestions on uh, Twitter, by the way, there are a lot of people who are like, well, I mean, some of it was some serious, like, here's what we could rename BYU, but other people just like throwing out every possible, the best one, I think, because you could maintain the acronym still, you could still call it BYU, Uh,
0: Baby Yoda University. (laughs) I thought you were going to give me something good. (laughs) I don't know why you wouldn't call it Latter-day Saint University, right? Like, if that's what we're going to be, and that's what President wants us to be. Let's. I, oh I'm no! Sorry, don't Jeff. say. Oh, don't tell me because non Latter Day Saints go there. Whoop de frickin' do, man! I don't well, care. well, but the problem
1: with doing that, Jeff, is that you are f- foreshortening the name of the church. So you would have to call it the
0: Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints University. That's might be fair. Or the problem is, if we called it Latter Day Saint University, it would be known as LDSU, and then we'd be back to saying LDS. yes so, Yep. See. No. Nope. These are fair problems. I don't about, think. I don't think Baby Yoda University is going to work though. All right. Uh, go all there. right.
1: Compromise. Eliza R Snow
0: University. Hmm. But would we ditch the R for the sake of keeping it a nice tight acronym? ESU? Well, yeah. Eliza
1: well, Snow. Would that get mixed up with Snow College though? Snow University. Snow College. I don't know.
0: It might, but no. No one knows. No offense to Snow College people, but you're not like nationally renowned. I don't think it's going to hurt anyone's feelings. Sorry, net of mine at Snow College. Sorry. So do. Hey, their upside is they're in Ephraim and they're very close to the Manti Temple, the best temple in the church. True. So they've got good things going for them.
1: All right, I wanna So we, we kind of went on a tangent here. I'm going to put on. I I, I have i I I'm going to say. I have a historian hat. I, I, I can't claim to be, I'm not a professional historian, but I have a master's in history. So I, I, I want to say I have a
0: historian hat that I could wear. It's a small, it's hey, my head. Ever, my head
1: ever,
0: I had, ever, what, as a master in behavior. So be whatever you want to be. Man. There you go. So go I,
1: I, I'll say my head's a little big for this historian hat. It doesn't quite fit, but I, I can put it on from time to time. So going back to your point about like, we want to like reconcile. On it. And I see, you know, this is, I think this is sort of a natural human tendency that we want to kind of just be able to label something very simply so that we can process it and know where to file it. And so, you know, and we do this with historical figures. We do this with TV shows, with restaurants, with anything. We want to know, is it good or is it bad? Was Abraham Smoot a good person or a bad person? And and who knows? I mean, I don't know much about Smoot beyond the fact that he has a building named after him and that he held slaves. So I don't know. But, you know, so an easier one is like, Hitler. Is Hitler good or bad? Oh, that one's really easy. He was bad, right? And then, you know, on the other side of the spectrum, you can say, uh, Mother Teresa, good or bad? Well, I think we can all agree she was good. But it gets really dicey when you get into people like George Washington or Thomas Jefferson or... um, I'll even concede some of the arguments that people try to make for Robert E. Lee. Like, you know, devoted family man, you know, loved his state... Sure, admirable qualities. Loved his soldiers. The soldiers were very loyal to him. Good, good. There were some good qualities, Robert E. Lee. Fought to preserve the institution of race based slavery. Well, that's bad, you know? <laughs> so, anyway, and so then when we get into this topic, like, especially now when you start to talk to church members who have testimonies about living prophets and, um, you know, modern revelation and authority passed down from God to people, and you say, well, what about Brigham Young? Good or bad? and people want to want to be able to apply a label and say well he was good because God called him to be a prophet and therefore everything he did was prophetic and we shouldn't be complaining about him for any reason at all and then you get the other side people saying like no look he he legalized slavery in the territory of utah he proposed and enacted policies and proposed and you know taught doctrines about that were extremely racist towards Afri- people of African descent. Um, therefore, racist. Therefore, bad. And and the real the real problem is that you can't like you can't label anybody. Like when you get down to it, um, it, it, you can't. We we're not we're never going to have a conversation where we decide once and for all was Brigham Young a good or a bad person because he has a line through him. And like anybody, like all of us, he constantly had to wrestle between his dual nature to sometimes be good and produce good things and sometimes be bad and produce bad things. And every single person in history has this. And so, historians, famously, generally don't spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out if people were good or bad. They just like to be descriptive and say, here's this person's life, make what you will of it. So, anyway, I don't know. I don't know what to do about the name of the university. I don't know what to do about the racism, the racist tag at the base of his statue, because people are making good points on both sides of it. And I think the better thing to do rather than just decide, Oh, was Brigham Young good? Was he bad? Are we going to, are we going to embrace him or are we going to keep him at arm's length? Is just to have this conversation. Right. I mean, I think again, it goes back to my original point. I want to say my understanding is the reason why this tag happened is because we're not even talking about it. And if we could have, like, honest and heartfelt conversations about some of the problems of race relations and race-ism in our our historical, in our religious history and our cultural history, uh, I think that's the first step towards resolving or even if we're not going to resolve anything, at least, like, acknowledging and talking about it, right? Like, it doesn't do us any good to, like, bury our problems and just sit on them. Um, that way lies madness.
0: And I feel like a lot of things, like a lot of things in this area, we're just trying to look forward. You know, I mean, like, like we can talk about it in detail if you want, but that we just formed a committee at BYU to evaluate race and inequality. That's great. Yes. That's an issue on campus. Form that committee and make it happen.
1: And know what's best, gonna, what, what the best thing about that announcement. I, when I read that, I was like, okay, I got to know who are these people. and Actually, most of them are people of color. Yeah. Good
0: good job. BYU. Like, this is a great announcement. And I'm glad that we're working on that going forward with the right people. But if we're going to actually come to terms with our past, which is a past with racism, and I, like you said, Jared, uh, you you say exactly the things I feel that prophets are not infallible. You know, uh, President Ukdorf, only a couple of years ago, when he was still President Ukdorf, gave a talk reminding us about the dangers of treating prophets as if they are infallible, godlike individuals. Yep. They're men. Yep. They are men who are products of their time in many ways. That doesn't mean it's a free pass. That doesn't mean you just say, well, it was normal back then. That's not necessarily true. And even if it was, that that doesn't mean we just put it in context and forget about it. But they were men and they were not perfect. And I think it's going to take leadership from, like, from BYU, from church leadership, actually turning around and saying, fine, let's talk about racism in our past. But I'm skeptical we'll ever do it based on our reticence to apologize for the priesthood ban. It makes me wonder how much we'll go and actually address any of these other issues. I want to think we would, but I feel like it opens up a can of worms, and everyone's still going to ask, "Why aren't we apologizing for the priesthood ban?"
1: Well, and then so that brings up another <laughs> interesting uh, bit uh, from the end uh, of the Salt Lake Tribune. Apparently, several individual members or groups of members, at least, have taken it upon themselves to apologize for the church's racist past, which. It's kind of funny. Did you see a few weeks ago? There were like these videos going around of people on social media, like making videos of themselves renouncing, like white, um, what white privilege? Like you know, and like so these white people yeah, make a video, yeah. and it's like I renounce white privilege. It Reminds me of that uh, that time, that moment on The Office when uh, Michael.
0: I declare bankruptcy. That one
1: exactly. He declared yeah. bankruptcy, and you know, Oscar's trying to tell oh, him like, no, that's not that's not how it works. Anyway. <laughs> And so it's to me, these members getting up and saying, like, I apologize on behalf of my, the entire legacy of Mormon history and the current church, I apologize for our history. It's kind of like, well, I, that's nice. I guess that's a nice thought, but it doesn't really do much for me. And I kind of feel like it's problematic. I, I personally, and, and this is just me, my opinion – uh, one man's opinion, I would love to see the church apologize. And I know Elder President Oaks has famously stated that we do not apologize. We don't seek apologies nor or offer them. Or that's not the exact quote. You know what I'm talking about, right?
0: Uh, as a quick mention as we pivot off this topic, we talk about BYU renaming buildings. Uh, Southern Virginia University actually did rename one of its buildings, uh, the former Durham Hall, after the administrators learned about the racist past of its namesake, Robert Lee Durham. Now, they can do this, of course, because SVU is an independent university that strives for Latter-day Saint values and adherence, but it's not owned or operated by the church in any way. So they can just up and – that's why it's so swift, right. basically. Well, and also another interesting thing about this is that uh, Durham, he's he has no connection
1: to the modern institution of this university. It was, it was named after a person who was connected to what – It wasn't before like a religious seminary or something like that for a different, it was for a different church. And, uh, so it's not like Durham was a founding member of SVU. It's not like he was a great Virginia, Latter-day Saint in our history. It was just a guy who they inherited the name of this building from the previous Mm -hmm. institution that they purchased it from. And it's like, Whoa, he's a super racist guy. All right. No need to carry that on anymore. So it's it's, a simpler, it's a simpler issue than Abraham Smoot or Brigham Young. So,
0: big time. So, some news that will affect everyone, but especially Jared and myself. So, you all need to feel bad. Uh, And also feel bad for the 8 million of us living in the Washington, D.C. slash Baltimore metropolitan area. The church has announced it is postponing indefinitely the open house and rededication of the Washington, D.C. temple, originally slated for this fall. Uh, We, I think, Jared, I think you and I talked about this last time you were on here, and we've mentioned it before. When they announced that conference was going to be virtual only once more in October, it immediately made us wonder, how are they going to justify doing our open house then at the same time right? if conference can't happen? And sure enough, that's what's going on because of COVID. They have not announced when it's going to come back. Um, they actually said they're only going to do it, quote, when large public gatherings are deemed safe. Considering the dedication itself was supposed to be in early December, I think it's safely we're going to... We're going to be in spring of next year, in a best case scenario, I would assume. Right. Uh, until they rededicate it, so that's a bummer. Uh, and now the cynical part of me, though, in looking at this, what it tells me is the temple's still going to be done and ready, and it could be rededicated quietly. Right? There's no reason they can just as they're doing these low key. Um, groundbreaking of late for some of the newer temples there's no reason leadership couldn't just come to the temple and quietly rededicate it and then let the saints go back to carrying out whatever work phase we're in for temple at that time but i believe what we're saying here is that the public relations and missionary benefits of not just any temple open house but a temple open house for the washington dc temple the temple in america's capital city which is going to be a very big under – it's Just outside outside the capital city, really. Yes, but the one that serves the the whole area, right? It's a very big deal. Every temple open house is wonderful, but the DC one is pretty mega. I don't think we'll have one of this scale and cultural importance until Salt Lake is uh, rededicated in four years. So – Basically, we're saying this is too good of an opportunity to pass up. We don't want to squander the PR and the missionary opportunity around this. Even so, it's telling me like that part's more important than actually having the temple back and letting the members do temple work yeah. once more, more immediately. And I don't, um, I, as we, I don't know how to
1: like say one's more important than the other, but I honestly do think it would be. Very I just add, <laughs> okay, yes, I'm sorry, you, you did. I'll, I'll defer to your expertise, but I, I, I do think it would be very sad um, if we skipped the whole open house thing because. Yeah, it it is a great missionary opportunity. I mean, and missionary opportunity. I mean, and I mean, just like, it's a great opportunity, whether or not we're like, quote unquote, doing missionary work, that's going to convert people. It's a great opportunity just for our neighbors and our friends to like, know us better and to see, I mean, and the building is a cultural icon. Mm -hmm. It's a landmark in the area. You hear, you know, traffic reports on the radio saying, you know, traffic's backed up to the Mormon tub, like everyone knows about it. So an opportunity for our neighbors to go inside and see what we're talking about,
0: and you know, it's been decades since they've been able to do that. I, I just would hate to pass that up. Oh, well, I would too. I would too. I think it's going to be huge, and even outside of those benefits, just it's a good like rallying point for the members around here. We all get. I've, I've been around when there's a temple rededication. When they built Newport Beach, I was still living back home, mm-hmm. and uh, like it was so exciting. Like the fourteen stakes feeding into that temple. We had other, other than the cultural events and all that stuff, the weird youth event thing that they used to do, mm-hmm. um, which I wasn't a part of, but my siblings were. Uh, it was it was a lot of like fun. You felt a lot of togetherness, a lot of cohesion as a unit, as a county in our case, as all the Latter-day Saints coming together to celebrate their temple and of course to, to volunteer to help out with it. Yeah, it was awesome. I would never want to take it away from anybody, but I do think it's kind of funny that we're basically saying that's more important than like being in phase one and letting some people get married. It's a a handful. Let's have this. And it is a little hard because right now Philadelphia is still closed too. So our nearest open temple in any capacity is Raleigh, North Carolina, which is a tiny one. It's a lot closer to you than it is to me, though. I know. Hours, eons, the (laughs) whole thing. Parsecs, whatever you want to say.
1: So speaking of temples, though, this is sort of just like a little – just blip on this little on this radar but i you guys posted to the uh this week in mormons facebook page the the brazil was it Belém brazil temple
0: yeah
1: which is super interesting i've never seen anything like this uh, temple or otherwise but they, i guess there was just too much rain and bad weather affecting the construction of the temple so they built like this little it looks like a concrete dome is that concrete what is it i feel like
0: there's it's got to be a tent structure, but I agree. It, it but looks it looks like, like it's, it's got some
1: it's, sort of patina on it. Like,
0: Yeah, I know. It's weird.
1: So anyway, there's this whole little It dome. looks like a cocoon. Yeah. It they, looks
0: like a cocoon. Yeah.
1: In, in, in a few months, the chrysalis will break open and a, and a beautiful temple will emerge. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's so strange. You should everybody go check out the Twim
0: Facebook page. Is we'll have it embedded on with this article, with this episode of this week in More talk Yeah, about it's just together. it's the funniest little thing. Here's just a little, little. Here's a little dome. There's a temple inside. You'll see it eventually. Yeah, I've never seen. So anyone who wants to follow temple construction can't because they've just for six months they've just been building the temple inside you, this. Have you dome. ever seen
1: any construction site with a like dome no. structure built over it like that? It's just it's it's interesting. Maybe it's a Brazilian. Maybe it's common in Brazil. I don't know.
0: I don't know, but it looks pretty funny. I mean, it's right next to a highway too. There's a lot of pictures over at uh let um churchofjesuschristtemples.com people have taken. You just drive by this strange-looking cocoon thing next to the freeway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Eventually it'll be gone. It's pretty cool. Uh also in temple news, more temples are reopening. Six more in this case, everybody. Six more. Where are they? Uh uh well, the problem is they link it all in these like new art, 14 in front, where's the number? The following six temples. So we're moving around a little bit, finally. Uh, Columbia, South Carolina, but then a handful of Mexico. Colonia Juarez, Guadalajara, and Monterey, Mexico, all Northern Mexico. Uh, then the Las Vegas, Nevada Temple and the Toronto, Ontario Temple will be reopening. Also, isn't it curious the nomenclature of temples? Like we know how they do like municipality, then state or Mm -hmm. whatever in the U.S., you know, like Columbia, South Carolina, Las Vegas, Nevada. But for the Canadian ones, they don't call it Canada in the name. They actually default to the provincial appellation. So it's Toronto, Ontario. Well, we don't say Salt Lake, Utah, United States of America temple. No, no, we don't. But what I'm saying is abroad, for example, like Mexico is a federation. Just oh, like the United States. Right. It's the United States of Mexico. Right. But we just call it the Guadalajara Mexico Temple, the Monterey Mexico Temple. We don't um, – what's Monterey? In? Jalisco? No. Is that Jalisco State? Which state is Monterey, in, for example? No, it's in Nuevo León. Yeah, so like in theory, up. shouldn't it be like Monterey, Nuevo León Temple? That could be a whole discussion on the um, – like the American ethnocentrism of the way we name our temples, assuming that people only know all these regional areas on a country level alone. I don't know. It's kind of funny. Is
1: the way we name temples racist
0: disgust? That's what's happening. That's what's happening, especially in a a country that might be a federation where there's a lot of autonomy for all these states, just like in the US and Canada. Who knows? Salt Lake Temple is... uh, Well, then, well, how far would you go then? So, like, would you... Because, like... I know. Where does it end? Well,
1: because, like, also... (laughs) Uh what you, Switzerland is a is a loose confederation of cantons. The
0: cantons, right.
1: So, so the Bern Bern Switzerland temple like you know is cuz isn't Bern in the canton of Bern I want to say. Anyway. Um anyway, I don't know. That was that was my ignorance of of Swiss geography. Sorry.
0: No, we're going to get to the end of this real quick. I believe Bern might be in the canton of Bern. I think it is. Um, it's the de facto capital of Switzerland, you know. Mm. It's the federal city. Interesting. You see. I've been there. Yes, Bern is also the capital of the Canton of Bern. So yeah, yeah it like so, would be the Bern. So we should call Bern. it the Bern. 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 Baby. Well, it used to be called the Swiss Temple. I was fine with that. Sure, but the, that was its official name, yeah. the Swiss Temple. Well, well, I mean, yes. What like what do you call the London, England Temple, which I don't think is actually in London. No, it's, London it, it, gets really
1: isn't it in Surrey or I can't remember.
0: No, it's in New Chat. It's in Surrey. So like, yeah, what would you call it? The London Surrey temple. I get it. Well, but, but, and I mean, then
1: you have to say which, which country of the United Kingdom it's in to put England in there so we, so we know it's not in
0: Wales or Scotland or Northern Ireland. Exactly. Because I would assume if they ever build a temple in Scotland, it'll be called the whatever, the Stirling Scotland Temple. That's what it'll go by. It's not the United Kingdom Temple. We don't call them that. Because uh, the Preston, England Temple is also that very well. Right. Pre- so Preston, England, United Kingdom Anyway, it's only the point that, like, I get it if we do it for the U.S., but we're bothering to do it for Canada, too. So why not Mexico, which has a similar political structure? Well, That's all I'm saying, folks. Well, and, and, you know, and there is precedent, especially among the headlines of this
1: today's show, for being persnickety about how we name things. Yeah. The church recently uh, announced that they've renamed several historical sites. And it was funny when I first saw this headline, I thought... Oh no! Like, is this like what we've been talking about? Like, <laughs> is
0: Temple Square going to suddenly be
1: like, called are, the Mall? Did they remove Brigham Young's name from something? <laughs> like, but no, it's it's interesting. And actually, I read through this list, that, and you should, guys should check out the link. Um, you know, and it's on the Church News website. Uh, there, there's this article, and it's the headline is "Several Church Historic Sites Have New Names," um, but they're good. It's it's good, and basically, they're trying to in some cases just simplify the name. So for example, Cove Fort, which is this fort in Utah that's at like where is it? It's like it's, it's out
0: by like Fillmore. I was gonna say it's, it's always like half, it's like halfway fort.
1: between like Lehigh and Toila or something like that I think it's halfway between Fillmore and Beaver. Oh is it
0: South or I thought, Beaver I, thought, and I, thought, Fillmore. I thought it was west for some reason. No Cove Fort's just like right I, I believe I'm thinking of there's always signs on the freeway for Cove Fort sure. anyway. Whatever.
1: Uh President Hinckley's I think grandfather was one of the first people stationed at Cove Fort. Anyway, it used yeah, to be, just off the freeway. It used to be called Historic Cove Fort, but now they're just calling it Cove Fort, which makes sense to me. Like if you have to note that it's historic, is it truly historic? <laughs> uh, it speak let the history speak for itself. Cove Fort is a historic place. No name, no need to put it in the name. So same thing. Carthage Jail. It was called Historic Carthage Jail and Visitor Center, but they're trying to just like simplify the names to focus on what it is and so in a lot of cases they've just t- taken away some of the unnecessary names. Some of the names uh, for example the Whitmer farm it used to be called the Peter Whitmer farm and one of the things that they pointed out in the article is that you know by focusing in on like the patriarch of the family it, it neglects the fact that there were several important women who lived there as well and also had were extremely instrumental in the running of that farm, you know Mary Whitmer was a very prominent and important figure in, ch- in church history. So if we call it the Peter Whitmer farm, it kind of cuts out Mary. So when we just call it the Whitmer farm church organization site, there's the appendage there. Uh, it, it opens it up so that we recognize, Hey, not just Peter lived here. A lot of people live here, women, men, children. So anyway, I like it. You should look through the list yourself. Uh, for the most part, they're very simple, but some of them um, are kind of like they have, you know, kind of explanations attached to why they've renamed it there. Um, yeah, do we have to say Historic Liberty Jail, or can we just say Liberty
0: Jail? We could just say Liberty Jail. Anyway, I mean, it might confuse people if there's like a real jail in Liberty that's being used. True, right? True. But like, if you didn't call it Colonial Williamsburg, yeah, you might just be a, in, a in a Williamsburg, Contemporary City of so, Williamsburg. So, so, oh, and it is a contemporary city. They have a Burger King. It's true. It's exciting. It's true. They, yeah.
1: Anyway, so I, I'm this still wearing my. I, I put back on my histori- historian hat to talk about this. I approve. My histo- historian Jared approves of
0: these renames of historical sites. So, well, very good, very good, Jared. Uh, I guess our last one this week. One I thought we might get to earlier, but anyway, Jana Reese wants to combat idolatry in the church. What? Yes, it's true. It's real. We worship idols according to Janice. <laughs> so. What she's getting at here, she she leads off with sort of the uh, the mormoning of things that we're almost we're almost two years into that effort, right? Um, she mentions she gets lots of letters from faithful members saying, you know, why do you still call us Mormons? You know, we're not supposed to do that anymore. She justifies it by saying, look, this is just the way it works in the media and stuff. Like we're going with the long-standing name to refer to this group of people. It's not our job to fall in line with what the organization says we should be, whatever it might be. Okay. So that's fine. The Uber Orthodox, of course, do not like that argument because the prophet has spoken, right? The prophet said it. So like, who cares? And I believe what she's getting to essentially as it goes on is that we turn the church kind of into an idol uh, in that sense. I think Jared will explain this better than I will, but um, by refusing to be flexible about these sorts of things, by, protecting the church at all costs so in this sense of saying, you know, how dare you call it the Mormon church? How dare you call ourselves Mormons? Like the prophet has spoken. This is the institution. We we give so much power to the institution itself that we forget about our bigger job to be like Christians, like to live the doctrine, to live the gospel. Right. And we focus too much on the body of the church, the apparatus The church really exists simply as the vehicle through which we can have saving ordinances and and other ones, including the sacrament, and then also receive instruction and have socialization and and all that sort of stuff. But the church itself is not the gospel. You know, the church is just the the organization to help move those things through.
1: Right. Like the first principle of the gospel is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And so I think that's kind of her point is that like when we lose sight of like what we're actually supposed to be exercising faith in and what are therefore the exercises of all our actions should be focused on. Like if it's not Jesus Christ and it's more about like getting really caught up in like what we call ourselves and how others perceive us. Cause that's, I mean, that's at its base. That is kind of what this is about. Right. I mean, it's, it's part, like as president Nelson pointed out, like, this is the revealed name of the church. It's we should be using the name of the church that the Lord instructed us to use, of course, but also it's about like, You know, sort of like one of the reasons why we're worried about that is so that people understand, oh, they're Christians, they use the name Jesus Christ. So they're not those Mormons, you know, that way I have so many cultural hangups about because of Big Love and whatever else I I ingest in my popular culture. But like, you know, if we're so worried about like, what we present ourselves as in word without actually worrying about like what we are doing to be Christians, <laughs> and,
0: you know, and I think that's a, that's a huge problem in the church. I think we work so hard to put up the veneer yeah. of excellence and of piety. When also, and I asking think ourselves who we really are.
1: Yeah. And then the other side, I mean, I, and I'll kind of append this. And I think Jana Reese would probably agree with me on this, but I, I think also it's just, it also oversimplifies what is not a simple, Principle of nomenclature, like yes, when we talk about the institute, the the church, the restored church, whatever, whatever you want to call it, we we should use the church's name. When we're talking about jello salad, you know, uh, recipes that abounded in you know Utah wards in the 1950s, should we use the four the full name of the church to talk about a cultural phenomenon? Should we use the Lord's name in vain when we talk about jello? Like you know, there's a there is a time and a place for using the word Mormon when we're when it would be inappropriate to invoke the name of the church because we're talking about something cultural or whimsical, or when we're talking about a larger um, religious movement in history. You know, we're not the only Mormons mm-hmm. in the Mormon movement. There's the reorganized, well, the, the community of Christ. There's the fundamentalist uh, Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints. There's mm-hmm. so anyway. The point is, and and. If you guys want to like read more about this, I, I recommend Artist Partial's uh, blog. Keep a pitching in. She's keep a pitching in. She is um, a great uh, amateur historian, but very She's very good, good historian. She had a post several months back talking about this very idea, and I and I'm very poorly paraphrasing her argument, but the point is, we get so caught up in saying like, oh, well, the prophet said to say not to say Mormon anymore, but then by carefully Following that, do we end up using the Lord's name in vain because we're talking about silly things like Jello and you know, game nights and dances and things like that? So I don't know. I, I I'm with Jen on this one. Let's not make an idol of the name of the church or the institution of it. Let's instead focus on how to be good members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And you know, we've if we've taken His name upon us, that means we need to be acting in a certain way and not. Haranguing each other because we didn't do
0: one small, you know, it's the what yeah. it's the straining at nets and swallowing a camel type thing, right? Well, and because someday all this is going to go away, the church isn't going to exist the same way in the millennium. Like it's not going to have a per- the same purpose anymore, right? So, like, why would you cling to this, the church, the church as your as as you would your savior? You know, yep. I mean, use it. The church needs to be what it needs to be, but and let that be a good thing. But yeah, like we said, just. It doesn't have anything to do with how righteous you are. Be righteous. Well, Be well. it has to do with how righteous I am, Jeff. I don't know about you. That's fair. That's fine. <laughs> well, folks, how righteous are you? Let us know in the comments with this episode, okay? We want to hear about your righteousness and also all the things we did wrong or right during this episode. You can leave a comment on our Facebook page with this post, on our website, thisweekendmormons.com with this episode. You can stream this whole episode right there on the website. Uh, and join us on Twitter or on Instagram as well. And, of course, contact at thisweekinmormons.com. You can send us an email in private for the things you're afraid to say in public. That's fine. Um, Jared, if you were promoting anything, I would let you promote it right here. But you're not. So, just promote excellence. I do. And awareness. Be, be excellent to each other. Which Did you see the trailer for Bill and Ted?
1: I did. Uh, it's, <laughs> I, I, it might be like terrible, re- terrible
0: and ridiculous, but I will embrace it. I- Keanu Reeves- looks much older without his beard. It's true. Much, much older. That beard is keeping him young. Bring it back, John Wick. Folks, we hope you'll subscribe if you haven't done so, being a lot to us. And and, uh, if you want to become a patron on Patreon, look for This Week in Mormons on Patreon, and you can donate like a buck a month, and it would make my world so happy. Until then, Jared, thanks for being here. Of course. My pleasure. Happy to have you, buddy. Uh, All of you, have a great week. Be well, be holy, and be happy.
1: This week in more months. Come, it's over.